0: Talk so much about it. I know the
1: reason that you like it. Get away from the wife for a few hours. Drink your head off. Football, football, football. when do you talk so much about it.
0: I know the reason that you like it. Get away from the wife for a few hours. Drink your head off. Football. Welcome to episode 52 of the Men Who Say Football, the Dundalk FC fancast. What can you say about the current predicament of Dundalk FC? I mean, despite all the off-field turmoil, most of us would have predicted that a home game, returning from a win prior to the break, against the weakest team in the country, who are also having an even more shambolic season off-field than us, should have been an opportunity for a, well, a victory and building a little bit of momentum, but it was far from it.
2: Yeah, I said in the the chat during the week that we were missing a couple of key players, but uh, I think the one thing that left me optimistic was that I thought Waterford were probably one of the few clubs in the league who were more disorganised than we were. Um, And maybe I was wrong. So I kind of feel like I'm eating my words at the moment because I think they put in a fairly organised and disciplined performance uh i think they they didn't have very many chances outside the goals that they scored um in fact i'd say that's one of the worrying things that they, they didn't put us under a huge amount of pressure but we still leaked three goals um and yeah like a, they put it in a sort of battling performance uh and went away with a 3-1 win which suggests it was you know a reasonably comfortable result for them and to be honest in particularly in the second half we didn't look like scoring very much and like you say, the the on the field turmoil just seems to reflect the off-the-field turmoil.
0: Now, like we could we could talk about the game. When we began this podcast, that's where our focus was. We were enjoying, you know, usually discussing Dundalk victories and who had contributed the most. We're in a very different world now, 52 episodes later. It seems to be, and we even try and resist this. Every week we're drawn to discussing off-the-field turmoil and chaos which has spilt onto the performances. Um, tonight, it's hard to make really anything of the performance. The performance, well, first of all, we, we had the technical issues with the streaming, which was unfortunate. Um, I wouldn't like to be too critical. I know you, you haven't been a fan of Watch LOI, and LOI TV's debut probably made you reconsider our, our dim view of, of Watch LOI. Now, I, I would put that down to perhaps first day nerves. We know that the club can can produce a better product than that. So I presume lessons will be learned prior to the next home game. But uh, I suppose once again it's it's one of those things that really made made it very difficult to make any sense of the first 15 or 20 minutes of the game. And after that, it was then, you know, we were trying to kind of catch up with the rhythm of the game. Yet it seemed to be going okay. Dundalk seemed to be playing. Decent football. We had a relatively well-balanced team with the players available and we we saw some of our star players beginning to do their things. Finally got our noses ahead with a, a, a penalty, a somewhat soft penalty, although that was still in a period of the stream when it was hard really to make anything out for me. I don't know how it was for you. But just prior to halftime then, once again, Waterford got their noses back in front. I think it was again hard to really from if you were there you might have been able to make out what went on it was a period where the stream was sort of still playing up for me so i'm not quite sure what happened but it seemed to be a fairly rudimentary pass forward in the center of the pitch and suddenly there was a one-on-one which our keeper didn't come out the better of uh did you see it any clearer than i did uh
2: it was difficult uh at the time i think uh maybe andy ball played a very straightforward pass to Cameron Dummickin that somehow like slipped under his foot and went out for a throw in. And from there, Waterford sort of worked it back into the middle of the pitch. That was, you know, a couple of sort of 50 50s. And all of a sudden, somebody played a, a through ball, uh, I think, for, for John Martin, who found himself, you know, one on one with a BB and, you know, stroked it past him. So uh, I, I think the first half, it was very hard to analyze, to be perfectly honest. Like, I know that so many people behind the scenes put in an awful lot of work to try and, you know, uh, come out with a, an excellent product. Uh, and so I think I'm inclined to sort of hold my tongue uh, a little bit more compared to, you know, some of the views I had on, on Watch LOI. Um, I think probably the the issue was with, you know, the the streaming service and the, the provider itself rather than anything locally, like the, the um, what would you say, the, the local aspect of things between the, the commentary uh the the camera work and everything like that all seemed to be in full working order like just the the actual quality of the, the delivery of the bites seemed to be the the big problem but uh it did clear up substantially in the second half uh that was a good thing unfortunately the performance didn't uh but yeah the, the first half very difficult to analyze like i i think it was a 50 50 you know style of game up to and including the the penalty uh, I'd agree it was kind of soft. Two fellas that had a hold of one another's jerseys and Mitz Kogan went down. But uh, Pat Huben finished it very well. Uh, you would hope that having gone in front, that would have given us you know, a bit of a confidence boost. Uh, we would go on to you know, control the game after that, but we didn't. Uh, I think there was a lot of scrappy play, really, from both sides. Like, nobody kept the ball well or held up the ball well. Uh, and so, yeah, the, the sides went in level at, at halftime. Now, my expectation was that you know we would come out in the second half, maybe you know having learned from the pattern of the game that we'd seen in the first half, and you know tried to dictate dictate play a little bit more. But instead, it seemed to be you know a lot of you know balls chipped forward from the the back. Uh, I guess like either a BB or an Adisded or uh, you know somebody else trying to fire balls, I think, in towards Pat Hoobin uh, a lot of the time, which he struggled to hold up. Uh, there was a lot of offsides. Uh, really broke the game up. And like I said, the, the really disappointing thing is that Waterford didn't put us under that much pressure, still managed another two goals that were fairly soft. Like, you know, certainly the, uh, the third goal, I think, you know, there was no real sort of threat, you know, a fairly sort of average, you know, sort of corner sort of a routine had broken down, but, uh, you know, it was chipped into the box. Nobody really attacked it, you know. Somebody at the back post basically stuck out a leg, and it managed to go past everybody and into the net. And really, it gives you a sense of a sort of lethargic display that we saw, you know, across the the whole team. Really, um, a sense of you know a lack of of tactics and composure, and maybe you know discipline in terms of people sticking to positions and sticking to a style of play. Uh, instead, it was you know very patchy. Uh, the the game i suppose might have suited waterford in the sense of you know play being broken up a lot like not a lot of you know sort of coherent passages of play or anything like that like very very uh you know evenly contested um and you know they they came out the better of it by virtue i suppose of of better defending on their part and and for defending on ours
0: turning to what fans have to say on the twitter we asked what was their reaction to the game once again it was a sort of depressingly familiar pattern in that once Dundalk had a glove laid on him, they seemed to lose their confidence, lose their cohesion. And what's sort of worrying is, you know, I know we had some players unavailable, some players quarantining. Once again, some of these are problems of our own making, because when you sign international players in the midst of COVID, that's always going to be a possibility. Um, however, uh, some people are, are are sort of you know suitably animated by the by the the lack of resilience and and a little bit puzzled by it. Um, Albert GFC Seven says, "I'm lost for words. A lot of things happening on and off the pitch are unjustifiable. I can't see a good outcome until the board really want to move in the right direction. Until then, everything will be misery as it is now. I just hope the club survives at this stage. Once again." you know i mean we we can't now look at the table and um not ignore the relegation issue uh once again we we probably would have had a, an aspiration still lingering that you know there might have been an outside chance of getting to a european spot i think having lost to a team below you and failed to beat longford already we we now begin to look over our shoulders rather than up the table unfortunately um there's some responses and they're 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 so Shall I say, fort right that they're they're on the verge of not even being broadcastable by our standards? But I'll I'll try and read one out. Uh, Rory Gilsonen says we are. Co- I'm not quoting here. Not very good. End of. Uh, we have a lad on work experience and goal, and our international signings are a disaster, uh, apart from one or two. Uh, some some established high earners are as bad. Looks horribly unfit again. Hands on hips and blowing hard all night. No pride in the jersey. Uh, Shane Tabajuni says, players simply don't care, enough said. Porik Mukian says, need a manager appointment and also need to tear up about eight contracts quick. They're just a sample of many similarly toned mood from the fans. Um Pedestrian uh, is another comment. Jay McKeown has come in and says, I couldn't even attempt to keep my opinion clean. The waffle that the club has told fans has been resolutely dismissed by that. We're beyond trouble. Root and Branch clear out ASAP. Now, just on that question, I suppose the idea of losing more established players, which was the kind of trauma of the last transfer window when we lost guys like Massey and Mountney and, you know, Gary Rogers retired, and we also lost Sean Gannon, guys who had been the core of this very successful period. Um, We were sort of dreading a repeat of that with perhaps, you know, other established stars joining the exodus. But it seems that the poison that was introduced into the team last season that coincided with our loss of form, loss of momentum, it seems now to have seeped and rotted through the whole club from top to bottom. And we look tonight for... You know any signs of positivity and there are very few to be found now, perhaps i'm being perhaps i'm being too negative there and you can correct me if i'm wrong but the squad had so little fight in it and so little resilience in it and once again substitutions were made and good players with good reputations came on but they didn't affect the game is the current um entire regime on and off the pitch has it become so mired in this dispiriting lethargy that, as Jay suggests there, a complete clear-out is needed now?
2: I would say that the, what we're witnessing is, you know, a, a team that has, a, a, you know, hasn't had a coach uh, behind it, like doesn't have a vision in terms of putting together a group of players into a, a coherent plan. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've got Jim Gilden in who I think is doing a job, but he's doing a job based on, you know, what was, what was there sort of when he got there. Uh, we know that he arrived very late in the, the transfer window, for example, and like didn't have much of a chance to affect that. And he certainly didn't intend to, I think, be coaching the team at the time. Um, so like he's sort of working with, with what he's got. But I think the, the signings and, you know, things like that are a reflection of, I think, um, the decisions of the, the club hierarchy before that. Uh, but I personally would be very wary of the idea of a clear out. I think if you look around at the the history of the league, and you only have to look at other clubs who've had like a similar pattern of extremely high turnover of players, like it takes a long time for a set of players to gel, uh, which may be, you know, part of the problem with the Dundalk side at the moment that they've got, you know, quite a lot of new faces to try and integrate. And I think if we were to, you know, accelerate that and, you know, get rid of, a collection of players who've been, you know, stalwarts of the club for some time uh, and then replace them with even more new faces and then get rid of some of the people who were only brought in this season and replace them with more new faces, I think that's going to give, you know, whoever is coaching the club at the time a big headache. So what would worry me more is the fact that the the club still hasn't announced a new permanent, you know, manager, despite apparently a, a plethora of, you know, CVs being in the post. Uh, and them having, you know, a selection of people to to look through. Um, if you're looking towards next season, uh, which, let's be honest, many of us are at this stage, you know, what you want to see is somebody being appointed with a good period of time, you know, running into the close season where they can take a look at the current squad. They can decide who they want to keep. They can decide who they want to bring in, you know, whatever their vision is, whether it's a Stephen Kenny, you know, sort of slick passing side or whether it's going to be, you know, something more agricultural. At least if you've got, you know, somebody at the helm who has, like I say, a particular vision and knows which players they want to try and achieve that, you know, they can go about doing that. But my big concern is that that hasn't happened yet. There doesn't seem to be any sign of it immediately happening in the the near future either. Uh, And that might lead to a situation where, you know, this rumbles on for a considerable period of time. If you're a player at the club, you don't know who's going to be, you know, managing you or coaching you next year. Uh, You don't know if there's going to be a contract on offer or not it looks very unlikely that there's going to be European football uh, next season either. And so I think uh, with that sort of uncertainty uh, on the horizon, there'll be a lot of players who are thinking, or or getting onto their agent, saying, you know, let's look for pastures new to, uh, you know, uh, to have something lined up for for next season. And I think that sort of puts us on course for that, you know, really sizable turnover of, you know, uh, playing staff. And like I said, you only have to look at the, the likes of Cork, you know, who are being beaten tonight by Kevin Dealy in the, the first division. Um, you know, that could be our future if that's the, the kind of route we take. And so, you know, that would give me a big cause for concern at the moment.
0: Now, we had a lot of rumours uh, recently as regards the manager's position. Um, there had been increasing chatter about Vinnie Perks returning, which was one option, but a parallel option, seemed to be Dave Rogers coming in as an assistant to Jim Magilton. And it seemed that those two rumors clashed this week and sort of almost nullified each other. There seems to be division within the decision makers. Some wanted pert, apparently, or were hot and cold or, or wanted him on Monday but didn't on Tuesday. We can't really tell. <laughs> like, there is an almost comic level of uh, rumors on the merry-go-round and contradictions and revisions every, every few hours. But Perth seemingly was one option that came close to fruition. Um, Rodgers was another. And Magilton was, was another. And it seemed by the end of the week that the, the rumour mill was saying it will be Magilton to the end of the season. Just to kind of get your opinion, what would you think of those three options and would you have a preference for any of them? And also the fact that none of them really have been confirmed. Does that indicate that there's now a state of almost total paralysis to make the big decisions in the club? And that would it indicate to you that Peak Six are now simply freewheeling. They're not willing to pedal anymore. They're just freewheeling till the end of the season when they depart. And they're they're content just to run us grimly towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. however mediocre it might be.
2: Yeah, well, the, the Dave Rogers one is a bit of a weird one because, you know, him coming in as a, a sort of coach uh, or, you know, assistant. Like, we've already got Stephen McDonnell uh, at the moment who's who's doing that role. Like, what is the what is the big differentiator between Dave Rogers and Stephen McDonnell? Uh, I mean, I have never worked, you know, with either of them uh, or watched them work or anything like that. So, like, I don't have a well-informed opinion on this, but, you know, um I wouldn't say that Dave Rogers' managerial history has been, you know, distinctly different. Okay, it's been further afield. uh, But I don't think, you know, there are strong signals there that suggested that, you know, he had enjoyed more success than, say, Stephen McDonald did at Warren Point Town. So, uh, honestly, I I don't know. I'm completely sort of ambivalent about that one. Uh, In terms of Vinnie Perth or Jim Magilton, like, I, I think again the problem is that if we don't appoint a permanent coach with a view to having somebody manage the team next season i think there is you know that feeling that any coach whoever it is is just there you know sort of holding the wheel uh, for a few months uh, until we get to the end of the season and you know nobody with a, a coherent vision for who they want to bring in or, or how they want to play next year uh i think if any part did come back in and came back in you know for uh, the foreseeable future like you know on a, a two or a three year deal I think that would probably be the best outcome in my opinion now I, I realize there are sort of flaws and draws back, drawbacks to, to this too but um, I think Vinny is definitely somebody who has a vision for how he wants the team to play like he knows Irish football he knows the league uh, he would certainly you know I think know who he wants to recruit uh, whether that's you know on a, a tight budget or in a budget that you know imagines European qualification, um, I think he could do that job, uh, and I think that is maybe the best of a series of bad possibilities. But I said last week, uh, well, sorry, not last week, last time we were on, that there's a big difference between when Vinny left, where he had you know uh, Stephen O'Donnell or Shane Keegan doing an opposition analysis, where he had Alan Reynolds you know working with him as well, where he had Joan Gill. Uh, and where he had Rory Higgins uh, at one stage as well, you know, uh, on the, the coaching staff, all of those people have gone. And so if Vinny comes back in, like, is he coming back in on his own? Is he coming back in with like a team of people who are going to work with him? Uh, because it seemed like the, the previous setup we had demanded like a certain number of people in order to, to coach the side effectively. Uh, and so, you know. The idea of i think Vinny coming back in on his own like is there are there enough people to to do all of those jobs uh i don't know I, I think that's a bit of an open question so yeah like i say i think that might be the best of a series of poor options available to us at the moment
0: just kind of looking once again at the you know despite the fact that some of the signings perhaps have, have disappointed and, and you know not we we don't like to single out particular players but there there has been positions and people have drawn their attention to where whereby you know there's a general consensus that in key positions you know we we have we have weaknesses but nonetheless if you compare our squad tonight to waterfords i mean we have players who would you know be of a much superior technical ability in many positions enough so that we should be more competitive with them and we should have won the game i mean i, I don't believe that Waterford, although they were a hardworking team that put in a good performance, I don't think they've got a player with the technical ability of uh, Patrick McElhenny or Michael Duffy or the goal-scoring ability of um, of Patrick Hogan. So what I'm saying is, like our potential performance should have been, you know, of a level if delivered upon that would have comfortably beaten uh, the Waterford United squad. What it had to offer, it seems that psychologically, almost to a a spiritual level, if you will, this team has declined and, and has become very, very brittle. Um, do you think like that that is down to the absence of a, a manager, purely, pure and simply? And does it mean that, you know, if we remain so brittle under Jim Magilton, that despite his prestige in the game and all he's achieved and the player he was and the level he played at, if that nature of performance is delivered on his watch, he's not really a, a viable candidate to lead the team to the end of the season, is he?
2: Oh, that is a good question. Um, I think that's really one of those situations where you need to sort of survey the inside of the dressing room uh, and really find out if there is a, a group of players there who think that he is moving the the side in the right direction and they're you know sort of committed to, like I say, the the project or the vision that you know he's. He's putting forward for the for the team, and um, I have to say, like the the performances, uh, Chris Shields, like I talked about this, uh, I think with Gavin before the game, where he said they've had some real Jekyll and Hyde performances, where you know some games they've looked really good. Uh, I think the St Patrick's Athletic game before the break was a really good example of that, right? Where um, there was seemed to be a lot of togetherness in the team, like they worked extremely hard, uh, you know, ground out a win. Um, even though like we didn't have a lot of possession and stuff like that but like the, the players worked very hard for one another and it looked like there was a sort of togetherness in the squad uh, and then you look at tonight's performance where it was pretty abject like both in terms of i think people uh you know sort of being able to to demonstrate a bit of quality on the ball like both for themselves and their their teammates and um and generally just you know sort of defend well you know collectively as a as a team which we also didn't do and so, yeah, I don't know you would have to have doubts about that. Certainly. Um, but as Chris said, like that Jekyll and high performance makes it like a bit hard to say one way or the other, like uh, some weeks you would say, okay, it looks like they've, they've gotten together as a group and sort of gelled a little bit. Uh, and other weeks it's like this, like there, there just seems to be, you know, nothing happening. Um, and it's, it's very hard to sort of come up with a, you know, to put your finger on the problem. Uh, and say this is exactly what's wrong uh, when those two things are, are both true at the same time.
0: I think probably if, if things continue in this manner, I, I sense that fans are going to become more impatient and simply demand change for change, change's sake. And and that's always just another spin of the roulette wheel. But it does seem that we're now drifting, or we're just rudderless. We are drifting along. We have no leadership really on the on the field or off the field. And I wouldn't like to single out Jimmy jilton too much because it seems that he is being asked to go out and speak to the media and try and make out that things are normal when they're very abnormal. You know, he's got to, he's got to, like, you can see that in this week's press conference, he, he, he talked a lot but said very little because he had very little to say. We don't seem to be any further along in making a decision on whether it's going to be him or whether it's going to be somebody else or who that somebody else will be. And that paralysis, I think, would to me that the inability of Peak six to make a decision after this long period of time or seemingly them revising decisions that they've made midweek and going in a different direction. It just indicates that perhaps you know they're they're as at sea as they've always been over those last twelve months, or perhaps they're just ready to kind of wrap up their involvement.
2: Peak six are. In the process of going out and buying another football club at the moment, so like they're they're what would you say they're able to you know meet together as a group and they're able to make decisions when it comes to you know new investments. Uh, so the big question has to be why aren't they capable of making a decision when it comes to like decisions that obviously need to be made at Dundalk? Uh, and so the only obvious answer to that question is either that they you know are deliberately pursuing a strategy where they're you know trying to just as you say keep things going until the end of the season. Uh, or they are just uh, there's too much I don't know friction or disagreement behind the scenes uh, that it's just chaotic and and nobody can manage to do it.
0: Turning to the topic of Peak Six, uh, Simon Blackmore has come in with tw- and on Twitter with a tweet. Anyone that is more worried about losing Peak Six to pay the bills that they've imposed on the club than their obvious inability to run the club correctly needs their head examined. Uh, typically forthright and frank uh, view from Simon there. Uh, somebody who's been involved in the club behind the scenes for years until recently. There was another protest uh, prior, prior to the game uh, outside Oriel Park, once again against uh, the current direction in which the uh, club has been led. Uh, I went down there to talk to some of the participants, and we can hear from them now.
3: Okay, I'm joined by uh, Danny O'Connell from the Shedside Army just in advance of this evening's protest. Uh, Danny, we've had one protest, was, this yeah. is the second one, uh, what do you think has changed since the first protest what do you think of the kind of lack of manager being appointed over
4: the break? Uh, not a lot has changed unfortunately um, and like obviously um, still no manager coming in and all we're hearing is rumours going around the place and we don't know what's going on, it's, it's not good, Like, it's just, it's, it's just getting worse to be honest. Like, yeah, there
3: was rumours of Dave Rogers, there was rumours of uh, Vinny's return. Would you have a, a view on either
4: of them, and the fact that neither one of them seems to have happened? I, t- I take Vinny back on the base as well. Like he, he'd, he'd definitely be better than Majithan, uh to say right now. Like, I'm not going to say, like um, Magilton's got a few wins now, but I, I don't think um, the the players really want him. and I don't think um, he's he's been the best overall either um, in what's there, so um, yeah, like, uh, between Vinnie and maybe Dave Rogers coming in, like, you just want someone to be announced soon, just Midgilton um, said not too long ago that he didn't want the job and that there was hundreds of applicants uh, the length and breadth of Europe well, where are all these applicants? Uh, what, what's, what's changed since, like, we're still waiting, so and off the
3: field, we don't seem to have much leadership either. Now, initially this protest was against Bill Hullsizer. A lot of people are asking, you know, if Bill goes, will Peak Six go too? Do you have a view on that? Do you think Peak Six are preparing to leave the club?
4: Well, the rumours are, from what I'm hearing, is uh, they've already tried to sell the club. I don't know whether that's true or not, but uh, I think it's only a matter of time till they're gone, like... Look, um it, it, it hasn't all been doom and gloom, there has been success under peak six. Um, it seems as though, um, once um, Bill to took over as chairman, that's when it all kind of went tits up. Uh, after, um, from there, like, uh, I'm not going to say everything was perfect beforehand. But, um, once Bill came in and making all the decisions, well, it just went from there. And like, obviously, you know, we've had those decisions that are
3: now in the past we're kind of looking to the future what would you like to see happen ideally at the club on and off the field between now and the end of the season
4: we, we, we just want like uh, we, we, we want to start community club back in the field and not someone making decisions from another continent never mind someone in the same country like it's, it's unheard of like like the, the owner's just leaving the, the position to, to, to their father like it's uh, it's crazy like and he, he He's no experience whatsoever in, in his past and in um, making decisions in football clubs or business like a uh, football business. It just I, I don't understand it and um, it's just uh, it's, it's baffling. So I'm joined now by James
3: McCartney also of the Shedside Army who's here at the protest the second protest. James uh, we're here now we just a month after the first one what do you think of the lack of change the lack of appointment of a new manager
5: like first of all again, i'd like to keep, like to thank you for letting me speak but the lack of a manager is disappointing as danny said just before me Majilton said he's getting hundreds of applications from across europe every day but he still took it now results haven't been too bad underneath him but nothing's changed inside the club that's probably unfair to say there is a new supporters group started and i just like to encourage all them dog fans to join it because In that supporters group, we are still going to be making this noise that we won't hold Sizer out. We will be a small group within the bigger group, but I would literally just, I don't care if you sit in the stand, I don't care if you stand in the town end, stand in the shed, I want to encourage everybody to join that club, because if they stuck out uh, to give us a chance to speak to them, as a, as a club, as they introduced Stephen Todd as an SLO and Jay McDermott, Brendan Oogles at the helm at the minute. But I'd just like to encourage everybody to join that because if they're serious about listening to the SLOs and actually listening to the fans, if they're not going to listen to us lighting like, no flares and causing ruptons out here and to listen to that, it's our only way of dialogue with the club. Now, I want Magilton to go as well, I think, but peak six... They've got no long-term plans for the club. That's obvious. That's very obvious. They haven't announced anything. We have two players contracted for next season. So they don't even have a plan for the next 12 months, never mind four years. So they've obviously got no intentions on doing anything for us in the next four or five years. I do think they're going to pull out. And if they pull out, Bill goes and we win. Thank you. It's, it's
3: just before I let you go it's one of the kind of positives has been that the fans do seem to be organizing in several groups your own group who most people would consider like an atmosphere group the guys to bring the noise we also have this new supporters group which you mentioned that everybody should get behind just looking to the future like you seem fairly convinced that peak six are have an exit strategy that they're they're, they're no way back for them now they're they're on borrowed time here if we kind of begin to think of the rest of the season and next season with the, hopefully the sporters club getting up and running, what would you like to see happen off the field as regards somebody coming in and maybe taking over from Peak Six?
5: So I would just love for the connection between the fans and the club to be there again. I know between COVID it hasn't been easy for anybody, but even at the latter end of Vinnie Pert's tenure, that connection was it was frayed. It was very very frayed. I think. After Mike Treacy left, he left after the cup final in 2017. Was it 2017? I could be wrong there with this year 2018. But tensions were beginning to fray there. And you see, when they cut ties with DKIT and they cut ties with the local credit union, who was a long, long long-standing sponsor of Dundalk FC, and that said, that we give a petition, we give a letter into the club, detailing all this. Like we might sound like Yobs, or we might be the Atmosphere Group, but some of us are very clued in. And we we handed the club a petition, but there was about 300 signatures on it, which if you look at it logically, that's one in three season ticket holders. That's a big that's a big part of the club. And it was ignored. It was ignored and we don't like that. They're open for open for opening up dialogue. I don't know, I'm sidetracking your question here. Uh, long-term strategy, I would just like to see the club come back to the community. Because you used to see the likes of I know Brian Gartland has a house in Pierce Park, he, he married a girl from the Quay, he topped and dark in right in. But the rest of them, we used to see them around town, they walk around town like giants but there's just, it feels like it's lacking, that, that community effort like even we stood on the wall for the Sligo game and I know it was a terrible, terrible result. We stood there, we clapped that team off the pitch. Two players, Razavis Tchaikovskis and Val and Razavis has been here six months and Val is a, is a youth academy. We're the only two players in that squad to come over and clap fans. And I just don't like that. That was just an example of what's happened between players and fans. And I think that stems from the top. I think Macielton doesn't understand the bond that existed between the club and the fans and that's no fault of his own he's only been here 6 months, I know he worked at Ipswich, he worked up the north where he was the performance director for the Northern Irish FA he doesn't understand what it means, he doesn't understand what it will take to build that relationship and hearing that he said no to Vinnie Pear, now I heard that was, I don't know that to be true but Vinnie Pear although he was Stephen Henney's number two for for a lot of years and then came in and then won a heap of trophies he understood what it meant and he understood what it means to people in town you used to go through town and see bunting up in shops, flags up in shops. You don't see that anymore. It just feels like the club is just non-existent in the community anymore. And the club's been in town since 1903. It just feels in the future I would I would take them back to the first division. Back to the dark days. If that spirit and if that community bond was back at the club, I would take I would take a relegation this year. Don't get me wrong, I would. If it gets rid of peak six, I 3D United next next season. I always have the trip to
3: Well, I suppose we'll all be hoping it won't come to that. No. But you 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 do you do hit the nail on the head there we did have this harmony all the businesses all park street the the fans from all over town uh, the team the squad the whole community were very very united only a couple of short years ago and now that does really seem to have been lost Um, do you think you know that
5: can be restored by a change of ownership i would like to think uh, new ownership would be a fresh So they could come in and they could take on supporters' groups to hear supporters' opinions of what things used to be like. I know you can go a long way back to the supporters' trust. The old one that didn't exact, it didn't work. A it space, but it didn't work. But you, they could come out. They could have. There could be dialogue with the fans again. Because now at the minute, I don't think Peak Six want to speak with us. They're not willing to come to the table, and I know that because Magilton did come to the table with. Aaron Lawless, uh she Shields to speak with a couple of my friends to understand where we are coming from and the disrespect he showed to the to the guys because he thought he came out all business, he thought they wouldn't understand. And the just the height the, the way he spoke to them was just completely uncalled for from, from someone from outside, not even, not only our town, but our club, to speak to people who understand, people who's been in Russia following this football team. And he speaks to them as if they're just a number. This is this club. Th- to a lot of people in the north, this club is their life, and that it, it feels like for them people. It feels like it's been taken away. I would be one of them. I travel, travel far and wide following this football team, and it just feels like like they don't care. It's just I can't believe it. At that, like it just feels like they don't care about us. That they can pull out and put their hundreds of billions of. Dollars and the flood insurance money, buying the Monaco women's team, buy it everyone, you want, pull out all you want. If the if the rumors are true, they tried to get a potential buyer last week and they said no. I hope that not to be true, but the fact that we don't have anybody contracted for next season by Andy Boyle and Rhino Cain is very, very, very worrying. I think that is a sign of an exit strategy because they're not willing to offer long-term deals. There's been no there was talk of designs for a ground and that's that's just dead in the water. Like I think I I I think the date now is about to ring. I'm
3: joined by uh, Jay McKeown here, who's organised the first protest. We're having the second one now today. Jay, do you think there's been much of a change or progress since the last protest took place? I
1: think because the first protest was kind of so visual um, conversations were kind of held between fans. Since then we've seen the formation of Supporters Club. Um, you know in terms of the club some of the statements they've kind of back up our original argument that it's it's amateur hour you know um, we're here hearing reports and jilton wants the job now when he said repeatedly he doesn't want the job and was inundated with letters of for the job well we haven't really moved on we're still a square one so i mean the point of the protest still remains and um, how the protest is being carried at the minute it's up to the fans to to see if we can bring change about um, look we, we said at the time that this would be a long campaign we're not to stick with that uh, until change is made. One of the big questions now, and
3: sometimes gets debated on our own podcast, is uh, this initially that the, the objective seemed to be to change the chairman to get Bill Hulsizer out. And the question is, can you can you do that and keep Peak Six? Do you think the game is moving on? Do you think Peak Six now
1: have an exit strategy to leave the club? It it would appear that again, look, there's nothing written in stone or set in stone, and I hate I hate using rumours, but there seems to be towards the effect that Peak Six have been looking to sell the club for quite some time, even prior to any protests, so, look, if, if, if Bill wants out, if Peak Six wants out, fair enough, but at the same time too, it's we'd only left a situation where we have no one running the club, I think. For an investment company like Peak Six, they'd be wanting to sell, to make something back at least, they, they wouldn't want to, to leave on a negative
3: although we hear rumors now that they're going to get involved with Monaco and on, on their women's team obviously there'd be big reputational damage if there was a, a big squabble in Dundalk and they left Dundalk really in the lurch or they hung on for a buyer who, who simply wasn't willing to pay the debts that they've run up off so do you think there's a, a possibility that we might have a change of ownership with Peak Six just writing uh, off the debt that they've uh, they've incurred in their, let's be frank about it, mismanagement of the club.
1: I think for the first football club the Peak Six have had 100% ownership of, if they're able to turn it around from the most successful football club in that league, the wealthiest football club in that league into the state that's going on now, that will follow reputation the Peak Six around. That's, look, the damage that we've done to this club is, is massive, but I think the long-term damage that we've done to Peak Six reputation will carry forward. If they want to get invested into European football, this kind of news doesn't go away. Um, look, I'm not saying the Dogs got massive nerve around Europe, but it's a club that's known to football fans around Europe because of our appearances in the Europa League. If it's come to the stage where all Peak Six or, as you said, mulling off into the sunset and the club's in the mess, that's all on them and that's going to follow them. So from a, from, from a business point of view, initially, you'd like to think Peak Six clean up some of this mess before they hit town. And just on a positive, we have
3: seen the formal uh, formation of a new Supporters Club. Would you be optimistic that that can grow into an organisation that can actually negotiate for, with, for fans' interests with the club itself in time and maybe even play a role in some sort of new ownership model?
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious now at this stage that the lack of fan involvement with running the club has us in this situation. Any change of ownership moving forward, the Supporters Club has to to be involved from the word go. Or, if Peak 6 are to stay, they have to accept fan involvement. Um, Look, again, don't want to get into rumours, but should the club change hands to, I've heard local businesses being involved, I'm sure people have heard different things, the Supporters Club has to be at the front of that, because it will avoid the current mess again.
3: Up here at the protest outside Oriel Park again, I'm joined by podcast contributor Damien Kenny. Damien, I haven't seen you in person for quite some time. It's all been via Zoom but now I see you in person. It's been a month of rumours. We've had a lot of rumours, not a lot of decisions, but uh, Vinnie Perth was very strongly rumoured to be on the verge of a return to the club. A rival rumour was that Dave Rogers was going to join the coaching staff. What do you think of those two rumours and do you think either one is likely to come true at this stage?
6: Do you know what, Ken? I honestly don't know because rumours and rumours and rumours and it's just at this stage Nobody knows what's actually happening. I actually don't know whether Jim Majelton knows what's actually happening because uh, um, With with the whole situation with Vinnie Perth, I am, when we were, we were talking about being very pro-Vinnie Perth, we were very, you know, annoyed that Vinnie got sacked in, in the manner that he did, but then fast forward to right now and more rumours are that the senior team players wouldn't actually open and um, welcome Vinny back with open arms so it's rumour and rumour and rumour so if you go on if we we're on the basis of rumours okay and you're talking about Vinny coming back and then you fire in the rumour that the, the senior players or some senior players wouldn't welcome Vinny Perk back then what's the point in bringing Vinny Perk back it's like i mean it's it, it's more negative upon negative as of dave rogers then there's more rumors to do with dave rogers dave's obviously come back he's a good guy he come back from from the states done really really well over there but yet again dave has no uh, league of ireland experience obviously he was coming in as an assistant then he could gain experience there but then there's more rumors that he hasn't been offered the position because of something that happened but we all know what happened yeah.
3: <laughs> we, we 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 kind of all know the, the circumstances <laughs> in which uh, dave left the club And before I have to say, Dave Rogers, uh, I thought he was a really good player. He's a a very prestigious player um, and, you know, he achieved a lot in the League of Ireland. We know he had a somewhat notorious exit from the club, which then got engaged in a wrongful dismissal case. But it just seems very strange that, you know, we, off those two rumours, they both seems to have died away and we seem to have ultimately no decision been made and it's steady as you go with Jim jilton perhaps till the end of the season. Does that tell you that there's a real paralysis now? That Peak Six aren't willing to take on anybody else or, or really appoint a new manager with a new vision? Because perhaps, as many people suspect, they're going to up sticks at the end of the season.
6: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that the, the, the rumor yet again—we're on the basis of rumor here and the rumor of them up, up, upping sticks and leaving at the end of the season. One thing though that I do think uh, should be pointed out is that, like Jimmy Jilton is on a—is it four or four and a half year contract? I think it's another three seasons. Another three seasons. So you know, that, that, for, for dog fans, in, in my opinion, who are worried about you know peak six just basically walking out the door. And leaving the debt and leaving, her. I think they'll wanting they'll be wanting to sell the club because they'll be wanting to sell it with a, with an infrastructure that they have there. I know, like when we think of infrastructure, we think of the the grounds and the stadium, but they'll be looking at the infrastructure of the of the player setup, the youth setup, the the managing director, which will uh, which Jim Magelton is, and um, and then you know so if they go, I don't think they they'll be going just out the door and will be gone. I think they'll be looking to sell, but I. I think you're right Ken I think that that's what they're looking at.
3: You wouldn't expect peak six to be still in Georgia Dundalk
6: at the start of next season? I don't think so I think it's been an incredible mismanagement of the situation and I think everybody in Dundalk and everybody who is passionate about Dundalk FC realise that now at this stage that that's exactly what it is become a serious mismanagement I mean we could have built something Peak Six and Dundalk Dundalk FC the hinterlands of Dundalk and County Leith could have built something exceptionally special we've had uh, you know amazing nights in Europe and imagine bringing that imagine bringing those European nights to Dundalk away fans from, from opposition Europa League stages to Orion Park. these are visions not something that will happen next year or the year after the year after that but like we're talking long term project six seven years we could have had that here in County Louth and it would have been absolutely amazing it's pure and utter mismanagement if we want to talk about rumours and these are rumours that like the budget this year is four million I in terms of rumours the budget was never supposed to be four million so then when if, if you hear those rumours that the budget was never supposed to be four million what was what was the budget let's have that let's say two million okay two million season League of Ireland and uh, we should be sitting at the top of the league 13 points clear anybody at this stage yet
0: yeah, the view there although there was many views passionately expressed um at the protest it seemed to be a sense that the the harmony that had been established between all sections of the fan base the local community the local business community sponsors the players the backroom staff all of that seems to have been negated over the last year or so it seems now that You know, it has all fallen apart and Dundalk is a sort of model of disharmony and and, and disjointed thinking and sort of, you know, um, it it, it certainly isn't the winning formula that that we built our recent success on. Do you feel that that, you know, there's more than just an impression there that that is actually the case?
2: Yeah, well, I I think if you rewind a couple of years at this stage, like we find ourselves in a, a situation where we would have had local sponsors from the business community. we would have had local people involved in the run in the club, uh, the likes of Martin Conley, Simon Blackmore, Colin Murphy, you know, people like that uh, sort of throughout the club. Um, I think the, between them leaving, the sponsors leaving, uh, players like Sean Gannon and Sean Horr uh, leaving the club, staff leaving the club like uh, you know Finny Perth, John Gill, uh very higgins you know people like that when you look at the totality of what's happened in the meantime what we're witnessing at the moment doesn't seem so unexpected right that you know if if you had told us you know 12 or 15 months ago that all of this was going to happen you'd say well you know the club is bound to sort of implode uh, after that and here we are so i think one of the reasons why I, I think we probably don't sound so shocked and so surprised after, you know, yet another bad result and after finding ourselves in eighth place on the table is because all of this seems so sort of predictable. And I think that's sort of reflected in the, the feedback that you're hearing from people, uh, you know, around the ground, that everybody has sort of, you know, witnessed this uh, quite deliberate kind of severing ties with the, the local people in and around the club. Um, and I think people feel very strongly uh, and very upset uh, about that Um, but also just the the result seems so very uh, obvious like and inevitable like this was this was always going to happen when something like this happens and so uh, I don't think it's particularly surprising I think it's sad Uh, I think at this stage like my sentiment is that if this is the level of interest that, you know, peak six are prepared to show in the club uh, and show in, you know, the club's relationship with the community then it's best that Dundalk FC finds new owners at some stage. I know the chairman has made his views clear on that uh, in the past as well, but, you know, I think uh, it's, it would seem very strange to me if anybody at peak six is enjoying this period of the the club's ownership either. Um, And I think it would be best for them to part ways. But uh, I don't know, like, I think as time goes by, that seems to be becoming more apparent to everybody else at the same time, too.
0: Yeah, one of the fans we interviewed, James, he he said that he would would take a period in the first division if it meant getting rid of peak six. Now, that just kind of illustrates just how badly wrong this relationship has gone. Uh, Do you think that things might actually go that far that the club could fall back into the second tier?
6: I don't think so. I and I don't think it would take that to get rid of Peak Six. I understand the frustration, um, and I understand th- the sentiment of that comment. You know, in other words, at all at all costs, we want Peak Six out. Like the guys that are on the protest there this evening, um, and they're right. Call for Bill Hulsizer to get the hell out because, like, that is the absolute and utter disconnect between, actually, between the community and those who actually own the club, don't think that it will take us to go into the first division, you know, to get rid of peak six. And who knows, peak six might not even leave. I, as I said you earlier on, Ken, I think that they'd probably be looking for a buyer, someone to buy off, you know, buy it, buy the club out. And who knows, maybe somebody will come in and say, do you know what? There's something good there that they can, they can, they can take.
0: Do, do you guys think that, you know we we've talked about this severing of um the sort of the dismemberment of the good times that we had by the severing of relationships with sponsors uh the alienation of fans, the dismissal of volunteers and staff and and background staff and the loss of core players all that has occurred and like Martin has said, with obvious consequences, all of them negative. do you think that harmony can be reestablished um Anytime soon, because you know every club aspires to have all of those things in alignment, but very rarely do they all come together. And we had this glorious period. Um, do you think that it can be brought back?
2: I don't know. Uh, I think it's a big worry that uh, I think the club could go the way of you know Cork uh, or something like that. You know where everybody says, "Oh guess I'd take a season or so in the, the first division." Uh, on the expectation that you'd bounce back immediately, but uh, I think even our own experience uh, back in the the early part of the century is that you know, a club like Dundalk drops down to the the first division, and you think, well, you know, we'll we'll have a sizable budget still, you know, we should bounce straight back, um, but many years go by in the wilderness before that actually happens, uh, and so I'd be very wary of um, of taking that option. Uh, I think probably the shrewdest thing. Uh, that the the Fast Fix lads did when they they took over was that they elected to, you know, continue paying the the club's creditors and stay in the premier division rather than, you know, sort of having the the club go bust and form a new company in the, the first division. Like that was a decision that paid off very handsomely in the years that followed. And so, I think my preference would be, you know, if there is a buyer for the club, um, preferably somebody locally, that, you know, they might be able to do the same thing. But we have also said that, you know, it shouldn't be those people's responsibility to pay off the kind of debts that Peak Six have run up and, you know, that seem to be billed to themselves according to the club's accounts at the moment.
0: I would very much favour that. I think part of any negotiation from any potential takeover, be they private or be they fan-based, is you, you have destroyed the club, you own the debts they're yours, you squandered the money do not expect to get your money back that you have squandered so foolishly because remember it was the club's money initially, they, they inherited a very healthy balance and we've probably said it before, they they squandered it all away, so I think anybody taking over their first opening gambit in a negotiation should be, those debts to peak six you're not getting them back Um, they they're, they're your debts, you own them they're your property, you you're going to carry them. And I might soften that position if I was a negotiator to say, all right, how much, how much is the how much doesn't Doc FC owe peak six? Is if if it's 1.7 million, we can work out something like one euro a week for the next 1.7 million weeks. They would be terms that I might consider. But I I just think it would be immoral to bail peak six out, given they have taken the most successful club in the country and reduced it to its current lowly predicament however yeah
2: I, I think that the worrying thing as well like from the perspective of a uh, you know somebody else coming in and buying the club and trying to restore it to its previous position like when peak six came in uh they had the best coach in the league they had the best squad in the league they had guaranteed european football for the subsequent season and i think anybody who comes in looking at the club now uh you know by the end of the season There is currently no coach employed, uh, sort of, permanently by the club. Uh, The players mostly who are going to be out of contract, uh, you know, is there going to be any playing staff, you know, permanently uh, attached to the club at that stage? There's probably going to be no European football for for next season. Like, it's not like we've done a magnificent job in the meantime of, you know, doing up the ground uh, and having, like, fantastic, you know, sort of spectator facilities. Uh, And so really the legacy of the peak six era is going to be a slightly improved YDC uh, and some, you know, player facilities and things like that. But that is it. Uh, And so I think it's going to be hard for any potential buyer uh, to really try to, you know, restore a league winning side uh, around that, like from the from the get go.
0: Another issue is the morning after uh well the evening you get rid of peak six should they leave or should they be bought out or whatever i imagine there'll be a certain amount of relief given that most people are probably now at this stage thinking they're they're unreformable they've done too much damage um the club cannot cannot survive with them at the helm however as soon as they depart we'll be back to the problem which probably made them an attractive proposition in the first place which is capital we look around Oriel Park this evening and by modern European standards or even by modern Irish standards it's pretty much a sorry site we do know that there is training facilities and there's the YDC but the old stand is now essentially half a century old in its in its design and its construction there is effectively no development on either end of the ground and once again we're back to that situation whereby. You know, yeah, we're accustomed to going abroad in Europe and seeing stadia in every provincial town, which is far superior to Oriel Park. Uh, but now, increasingly, lots of other clubs have far superior facilities. Like the Brandywell is, you know, more modern stadia. Uh, we're told that Finn Harps are going to get a more modern stadia. Sligo Showgrounds is more developed than Oriel Park is. Tallis Stadium the envy of of most other grounds. And we'll have that problem again uh unlike south dublin county council we seem to have a a at best neutral or, or or and at worst sort of indifferent uh relationship with loud county council they don't seem to have the money available to be of any assistance and you know peak six don't don't seem to have done made any progress in petitioning state funding to develop Oriel Park or match funding or going to the association or you know getting money from any source uh, that that other people typically do so I mean essentially the club has no assets like the players leave at the end of their contracts so they're not a saleable asset really in in one when, when they come to the end of their contracts we don't own the ground so in one way it makes peak six's bargaining position to bargain hard for the club um, not really all that tenable because all they own is the the you know they're they're the current leaseholders of the ground and they've got they've got a an option to field a team in the in in the uh, national league of the country but that's that's it. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see who, if anybody, emerges. Is it conce- to, to try and take the club over, is it conceivable that we could get a repetition of what happened towards the end of Jerry Matthews' um, tenure when he went to sell the club and simply couldn't find anybody to take it off his hands and then essentially just defunded the budget for a season?
6: I know a lot of people that say, like, if it's Peak Six Go, we're done and we're dusted. But like who's not to say somebody local wouldn't come in and bring in someone who is really grounded in the league of ireland and, and steer us steady into the middle of the league and build upon there. like um i mean that would be a scenario that i think any dundalk fan would take i just i think that's where most most dundalk fans are really really frustrated at the moment is because when you see that much money been pumped into the club and the, the performances like tonight uh being so so poor that that is where it's after so so much frustration like with fans watching that so i mean i think that i don't think it's a i don't think it's a dead duck and i think it's it's really fine lines you could find yourself in a cork city situation where you're getting bet by captain tealy and you know being in a serious serious problem or you could find yourself you know mid table in the premier league and i think i'd take um the latter
2: the one thing about when Jerry Matthews was selling the club was it was that you know one of the darkest times in the country's history as well like we were at uh, a, a real trough uh, in things you know sort of economically in terms of like emigration uh, and in terms of Jerry's own you know sort of finances at the time so you would hope that if Peak Six were interested in selling the club at the moment that you will have more prospective buyers that those buyers might be a little bit more flush with cash uh, than people were around about, you know, 2012 um, and that maybe things will be, you know, slightly easier going on on that front um, compared to uh, the, the previous sale.
6: And maybe they'd listen as well, they'd listen to, I mean, I would imagine if somebody was going in to buy, to buy Dundalk or take over the Dundalk, whatever term you want to put upon it, that they would have an understanding of the league, like it's clear that Peak Six, Yeah, you know, I think they could pump 140 million into the budget this year and we would still finish where we are. There's a clear lack of, you know, of, of lack of knowledge of the, local, of the local league. And I've been saying this for a long, long time, that when you bring players in from foreign leagues into the League of Ireland, they take time to adjust. If you don't understand the league, you're in trouble. It doesn't matter how much money you have.
0: But they've, they've dispensed, the, the, the real criminal thing is they've dispensed with all that expertise. I mean, they came to Dundalk, and Dundalk knew how to be a football club, but knew it was well run. You know, you had people in positions, in roles, who were doing those roles better than anybody else in the country. And that was on the field and off the field. And sure, there's always room for improvement. But Peak Six seemed to rather arrogantly wave away a lot of expertise that they had available to them and spend lavishly on professionalisation which brought in highly paid people who didn't have the same commitment nor indeed the same level of competence it seems and um you know at the end of the day unfortunately i mean you know the potential of what could have happened with them if they had if they had done what needed to be done which was ground redevelopment and augmenting the club in a way that it could become you know, a, a, if it, if their aspiration apparently was regular group stage, you know, European football. They haven't put one brick on top of another to actually be able to host that in Dundalk. I mean, it's a real tragedy that we have had two series of games in the in the Europa League group stages, and we've not been able to host a single one of them in the town. And 50 years ago, that was a point of pride when the club itself and its fans... Through a special game and gate collection and fundraising bought floodlights the only ones outside dublin to allow us to become the first provincial team to host a european game and i think a lot of that generation would be pretty appalled to think that you know six years later with more money than the club ever had available before that the uh, the owners didn't think it didn't even consider that it was a priority to host European football in the ground or to get the ground ready to be able to host European football. That they themselves identified as their ambition for the club. So, I mean, you know, much as everybody wished them to succeed and even held out hope perhaps until recent weeks, and perhaps some people still do, that um, they would succeed, it, it just seems that they are incapable of success in this league because not only do they not understand what they have stepped into but they have jettisoned the expertise that was available to them to guide them uh, in in actually running the club properly and this this explains the fact that we have spent more money than we've ever spent before and yet we lie at our lowest point in the table for some considerable period and there are Clubs with a um, with 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 a fraction of our budget, who are getting draws and wins against us. Looking forward to our next uh, engagement. It's it teams around us in the ta- in the table, and of course that gets grimmer by the week. Uh, who we've struggled against. Next week we face Longford Town, who really were the beneficiaries of two blunders there when we gifted them two goals in our previous meeting. After tonight's performance, should we? be equally nervous about a clash with Longford Town at home? Or is this a game that, you know, we really should look to make a recovery on?
2: Yeah, well, last time out, we said that, you know, we had the suspicion that Dundalk were better playing against the likes of uh, Shamrock Rovers and St. Patrick's Athletic in terms of the style than they were against many of the, the rest of the teams in the league. And we said there are these four games coming up, including tonight's game, uh, if we can take nine points out of a possible 12, that would go a long way to answering the question that, you know, we have turned some kind of a corner and we've got things sorted. Uh, so off to a bad start tonight. But if we went on, like for the next three games that I think uh, against Longford, against uh, Drahada, uh, I can't remember who the the other one's against, but, you know, that would sort of suggest that, like I say, we we've overcome some of these hurdles. But if as has happened like the rest of the season, we struggle to win any of those games, uh, then you would have to be seriously concerned about where the team are going because we're already eighth in the table. We lost tonight against a team below us. uh, So like now our nearest, uh, what would you say, threat from below uh, Waterford, uh, like they've taken three points against us. And if that continues, you would have to say that, you know, relegation fears, you know, loom on the horizon.
6: Big time. I mean, I think that like when you look at what, uh, Longford coming to sound after us getting beaten by Waterford, you'd have to worry. But at the same time, who knows what Jim Majeldon will, will get out of this team because I mean it's like it's like five one, you know, loss to, to, to Bowes. Next week you go out and you know, you you win. This week we lose to Waterford. So, you know, on 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 averages, we probably beat longford I would imagine. I know I said earlier on, like when I was outside the ground with Ken, that like we should be taking the three points tonight. We obviously didn't, but I'd imagine maybe that that like that Jim would uh, bring the guys in and say, look, that wasn't good enough tonight. Go out there and win the next night, or whatever else he does, and whatever else he doesn't on the on on the training pitch, we probably will get the three points. But then in, that asks a questions, like. Why isn't this a consistency? Like where is the consistency within this? Like, is it like they went away off, didn't listen to Jim because they haven't seen them in, you know, seven days or fourteen days and said, just turned up tonight for the game, lost the game, and come back next week and you know, probably beat Longford. I'd be worried to be honest, but I you know, as I said to you, we should be taking three points against Longford the next time. Just to return to Twitter for a final comment, uh, Richard Garland
0: has said the club lasted for a hundred years before them presumably being peak six and will last without them as well i wouldn't care if we never won the league again as long as it was under stable ownership who cared about the club and i suppose that's really what's been lost to a great extent um stability we we were a model of stability we had established a way of doing things we changed the team very slightly and incrementally and we managed to survive you know, your better players perhaps being attracted across the water and, and sort of, you know, replace them with one or two key sign-ins under Kenny. And that sort of stable and kind of harmonious approach was really what that success was built on. I mean, look, we have been through tough times before as a club and not really all that long ago. Things can turn around uh, very quickly. You know, not only can a single season be a long time uh, in football, but even a week can. So it's on to Longford next. They'll be the next visitors to a real park. We will be hoping that, you know, heads can be knocked together during the week and people can be reminded of their their potential and their where their performances should be because no player can really be enjoying uh, participating in the type of performance that we had tonight. So we'll, we'll hope for the win. And who knows, you know, if the rumour mill stops spinning, we might even have some clarity on who will be managing the team for the rest of the season. Um, but until next time, I'd like to thank you for joining me, Damien Kenny and Martin Mullen. Uh, Ruri, our other usual contributor, was indisposed after tonight's performance. So uh, listeners can make of that what they will, but I think he's deep in meditation now, uh, uh, contemplating the nature of suffering so uh, we'll have him back next week I'm sure and he can tell us what he's discovered on his on his uh, mental inner journey but until then um thanks very much for the chat I hope you all enjoyed listening and we'll be back uh, next week to discuss hopefully what will be a victory over long wow, hey, 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 hey,
5: for time the man. Fuck, fuck, fuck.